Welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Dr. Ian Burke. Ian is a professor in wheat science at Washington State University. His research program is focused on basic aspects of wheat biology and ecology with the goal of integrating such information into practical and economical methods of managing weeds in the environment. Ian teaches the undergraduate courses in wheat science and cropping systems. Hello, Ian. Hi, Drew. Seems to me every time I have you on, we have a, uh, a story that's not all that uplifting. And today is... Maybe the same. We're going to talk a little bit about Roundup-resistant downy brome. I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, uh, as I've reflected on the last few years, as we've done more and more testing for herbicide resistance, um, it does seem to be just a continuous stream of bad news. And a lot of that has to do with how old our crop protection compounds are, their overall durability, how we've used them. Uh, it seems sort of inevitable that Downey Brown was going to evolve resistance to the very limited number of herbicides we had. I didn't expect glyphosate resistance, although in hindsight, I probably should have. Uh, we've been using glyphosate in the wheat fallow system for years, and there's been a steady um, shift to to at least attempt chem fallow reduction in, in mechanical weed control in that fallow system such that we put a lot of pressure on just glyphosate to control that Downey Brown. And so now we have glyphosate-resistant downy brome. And that, I think that's going to fundamentally transform how we farm if it becomes widespread. So tell us a little bit about these uh, downy brome uh, biotypes that are now resistant to glyphosate or Roundup. Where, where have you found them and how resistant are they? We, we found them in two counties, um, down, in, you know, down in the Horse Heaven uh, Hills area and then also in western Whitman County in multiple sites. I've walked additional fields since that uh, seem to be infested with at least developing populations, you know, car-sized populations of downy brome that had survived the, the chemical fallow treatment. Uh, so widespread in geographic region, but not necessarily widespread on a field basis. They're still occupying relatively small areas. Uh, the growers who contacted me to test them are painfully aware of what they have. And at least in one instance, it's widespread enough that we don't have any expectation of, of turning back the clock, of eradicating it from the field through, through changes. It's, it's occupied too many acres. Uh, once that happens, you typically expect it to spread even more. And given that it's, we found it in two different places that are not really connected in any way, we suspect that the, they were developed independently, okay. which means that we'll probably see more develop even if we eradicate these. So as far as how resistant it is, in our dose response tests, it looks like it'll survive uh, well more than what you're legally allowed to apply of, of glyphosate in the field in any one application. And uh, often we see that it's capable of resisting somewhere between you know 8 and 12 pounds of active ingredient per acre. So that's a, a nearly complete resistance. We've had a graduate student 
uh, Pragya Asana, working on determining the mechanism of resistance, and it appears to be similar to what other weeds have used to escape Roundup. And that's that it's duplicated its gene, the gene that that codes for the EPSPS enzyme that glyphosate interacts with. And uh, instead of having one copy, it looks like it's got more than 30. And what that means is the plant's able to make all a lot of this enzyme. And the enzyme doesn't have to be resistant. In fact, it's a benefit for the plant that it's not because then it just acts as a sponge. So all the glyphosate that gets in the plant is hypothetically absorbed by this extra enzyme. Okay, but there's still enough to, for it to go ahead and do what it needs it's, to do. It's still quite capable of growing and reproducing. Okay. So there's a, yeah, it's a, in the areas where we're finding this weed, this glyphosate-resistant downy brome, glyphosate is essentially obsolete. Okay. And, you know, glyphosate, for as long as I've been in my career, since uh, the, the 80s, it's what growers have used to control downy brome in fallow because it really doesn't take a whole hasn't taken a whole lot of glyphosate to do the job. How do how do we manage in a world where we can't control downy brome with glyphosate anymore? I, I've been wrestling with that question uh, since before we found it. You know, it's sort of the writings on the wall, not just for downy brome, but for weeds like Italian ryegrass and of course Russian thistle, kochia. Those are all weeds that are common in the in the eastern Washington area and have evolved glyphosate resistance in other areas, if not here. And so how how do you go about changing perception of value associated with those those weeds? That's a challenge that I haven't yet figured out. Uh, but there are a number of good best management practices that you can employ. One of the, um, there's a very nice publication that came out uh, produced by the WSSA in the last decade that uh, itemized those BMPs, and we went ahead and put them together into a BMP document that's going to be distributed on a fairly widespread basis, just as a poster to hang up in a corner somewhere, just to, so everyone can kind of see what they look like. And it um, it's really meant to be a reminder of all of the little things that go into weed management that really can often pay big dividends if practiced um, effectively and, and proactively uh, to minimize the impact of, of weeds. You know, it starts with keeping things clean, staying clean, prioritizing areas of fields to visit last because they're pretty weedy over areas that are not. Um, It's just good sort of common sense BMPs. I think the most important BMP, though, on the the list is is the incorporation of multiple modes of action into whatever herbicide herbicide plan you're using. And that's a... That's actually tricky to do with a weed like downy brome, where we might not be able to control it anymore with any post-emergence herbicides. Um, and certainly uh, on our mind is is the sort of the last post-emergence mode of action that we really have that's effective, which would be the ACCA's inhibitors. Uh, but for, for growers who are um, thinking forward and looking at how to manage annual grass weeds in a fallow system, you know, rotating would be ideally the best to a broadleaf crop where they can use a, a diversity of additional herbicides that have grass activity that would be very different from what they would use in their wheat crop. Mm-hmm. But absence of that ability because of some um, monetary constraint, I recognize that happens a lot, then um, incorporating additional modes of action, even in the fallow, but also in wheat, to really um, manage those really troublesome wheat species is really critical. Yeah. In, in downy brome, it gets uh, 
a little difficult if we can't use glyphosate in our fallow. And now we have, especially down in the Walla Walla area, a lot of biotypes that can't be controlled by any of the group two herbicides. We're starting to run out of things to rotate with. What, what does somebody do there? I guess we have the group 15s maybe and and maybe this uh, ACCH, the coaxium wheat system. But uh, as we have fewer and fewer tools, the ability to rotate becomes more and more difficult. I think the most the most alarming thing is going to be that that the the dollars and cents um, are going to line up not toward chemical weed management but but toward mechanical weed management. You know, I think when you start adding together all the pre-emergent herbicide costs and you couple that with the essential essentially no return on investment in a fallow system for the fallow year, uh it becomes really difficult to to make additional herbicide inputs work. And in that situation, mechanical weed management is going to be likely the next opportunity. And that, that's going to take us backwards. Uh, we know that many of these pre-emergent herbicides, if they're using, if growers are using those in, in wheat, they they really need to be effective on downy brome to manage residue in a way that allows the herbicide to have good soil contact. Downy brome can live its entire life cycle in the duff layer and not root into the soil where the herbicide is. And so we've really uh, had a lot of mixed results using pre-emergent herbicides in for downy worm control because of that. Okay. So a herbicide like Zidua or Anthem Flex has really good activity if there's no residue, and you can have really mixed results when there is there is a lot of residue. Uh, you could have, it's always really important to, uh, there's old herbicides like Metribuzin that still have activity, but that maybe cause potential wheat injury or important to, uh, begin to relearn how to use those. That's a, an important and different mode of action that we could utilize to manage downy brome. And together, you can build a program that that is effective, uh, but management of residue becomes critical. Uh, we know that the heavy harrow is capable of, of transporting these seed all around the field. And so how you, the particular mechanical weed management that might be deployed, or residue management that might be deployed, planter systems that might be deployed should be um, carefully considered based on how they transport potential weed seed. And uh, if you've got one that moves a lot of weed seed around the field, now's the time to really start thinking about thinking, trying to find one that maybe doesn't. You know, I think one of the, the real weakness, biological weaknesses of downy brome and other annual grasses, winter annual grasses particularly, is that the seed isn't really very long lived in the soil. So crop rotation can be uh, quite useful in the Great Plains. We introduce summer crops into that rotation. A little more difficult here in the in the Pacific Northwest where it doesn't rain. But if you can get two years between winter wheat, crop, winter wheat crops rather than one, it makes a big difference. But then the economics comes into play again because winter wheat tends to be the money the money making crop in a lot of years. So. It's definitely a conundrum. Uh, you know, we've dealt with. Um, managing downy brome without herbicides from the 1930s through the 1970s. We really didn't get very effective herbicides until then. Um, what it looked like was you would grow downy brome until it got really bad in your winter wheat, and then you would rotate to spring wheat for some period of time and take the yield loss. And then when you felt like the seed bank was depleted enough, then you would rotate back to winter wheat. And we know that doesn't eradicate the, the seed bank. I think that the seed bank for downy brome actually lasts longer here than it does in, in western Nebraska. Everything else seems to, 
because of our Mediterranean climate, we don't have a lot of moisture in the summer to break those seed down. And then they're frozen all winter. <laughs> and I suspect like our herbicides, the downy brome can carry over for longer. And, uh, you know, you put that all together and it, it does make for a, a bit of an attractable situation. So the value of the weed changes. And so this is something that can really, can be quite limiting for our production system. We might have to place a different value on that downy brome um, and prioritize it for, a, you know, something like a zero tolerance system where we just don't tolerate any downy brome at all. And that could take years to get through a system like that. But once you get on the other side, what that looks like, how you manage in the absence of downy brome infesting your fields uh, might be very different from, mm -hmm. from where we currently sit. Okay. Uh, your statement earlier about not having effective herbicides, I remember in the 1990s, I told all my growers, well, we're never going to have a herbicide that will selectively take downy brome out of winter wheat. We need to use these cultural practices. And then Maverick showed up. <laughs> and for the last 20 years, we've been spoiled because we've been able to do it. But that it uh, looks like we've overused that technology and, and uh, maybe have to go back to some of those techniques we used to know about. The financial reality of low external input dryland farming is that we seldom can afford the number of inputs we likely need to deal with some of these pests. And we're often just farming for the next great year and uh, hoping that the, the limited inputs we can afford to apply continue to work. And eventually those sorts of systems fail. And uh, the Hossies call it hitting the wall, where the, the cropping system as practice can no longer continue. And uh, I'm afraid that we're on the verge of, of hitting the wall in a good part of our production system. Well, I hate to end on that upbeat note, but um, <laughs> uh, what what where are some of the solutions? You think how what do we need to be doing differently than we've done in the past? I, I think it's critical to to be painfully aware of, of the the populations you have in your field um, to begin to to really take pay close attention to, to what they're doing, how they're uh, moving, how they're evolving in response to what you're doing, and begin to uh, prioritize around. Manage, management of those populations as best you can. Um, I recognize there are a whole host of other demands on the farm, uh, but um, take a good close look at these BMPs. I think there's a lot of solutions here. There's, I think there's a wide variety of practices we could employ that maybe would not necessarily be a financial burden, but might be a time burden, and that we can kind of trade um, one for the other and, and find ways that, that we can successfully overcome this potential challenge. All right, that's a little better note to end on. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Drew. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications and the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time.